So how are sex, gender, and sexuality related to your human development? Well, let's take a minute and dig a little bit deeper into the interconnection into how our sex, gender, and sexuality really um, is like a dance with our human development. You probably have never stopped to think about all of the things that factor into your human development. These two chapters really kind of give us an opportunity to explore the interplay between our nature and our nurture, our genetics and our environment, and how intertwined and interlocked they are. So when we look at human development, we know that... um, you know, we come from these chromosomes. um, And the idea is that all of the genetic material is um, found on these chromosomes that you get 23 pairs of chromosomes for mom and 23 pairs of chromosomes for dad or from dad. And so they combine and they create this new human being that is a um, intermingling of all of this genetic material. Now that's a very kind of basic um, perspective on it. And again, we're kind of zooming out and looking at this at a very high level. And so what you've got is at that moment in which they come together and it creates this new human being, you have kind of this um, mix of genetic material. And yes, while the vast majority of our genetic material is very, very similar there are some things that are different. Obviously, that um, 23rd pair of chromosomes contains the genetic information as to um, instruct the rest of our body how to develop the sex characteristics. So very, very early on, we see how this genetic information is going to kind of um, predestine some of our physical features in our development. So we've got that, um, those genetic uh, sex, gender, and sexuality characteristics that are already at play very, very early in human development, um, even before people even know that they're pregnant. Now, what complicates the situation, though, is that then there are things um, that we mentioned briefly in the other podcast, things like androgen insensitivity syndrome, um, which occurs in males, or congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which occurs in females. And we don't necessarily, researchers don't know exactly what causes it. But one hypothesis is that individuals who are exposed to certain teratogens early on in utero or early on in development when they're in their mother's um, womb, that this will alter the development of those sex characteristics. So now we see it's not just our... um, genetics that is playing into it, but also our environment. So what mom was exposed to, um, the environmental impacts can impact the development of that fetus, which then will, as we um, mentioned in the other podcast, could actually alter the development of the human brain. Um, These teratogens or the, um, you know, hormones that a fetus is exposed to 
early on in development when they're in utero can actually change some of the development of the brain. Now, again, as we've mentioned before, um, the brain is a muscle, um, it's soft tissue. So that development could be, again, further altered or compoundly altered after birth or even while still in utero by other things um, that that fetus would be, would be exposed to as well. So we see very early on this interaction between that our human development is not just our genetics or those sex characteristics, and that our sex characteristics oftentimes are not just our genetics, but can be part of an impact of our environment. This genetic information that may or may not be impacted by the environment is then the software that is going to kind of program the body. It's going to tell all of the cells how to develop. It's going to dictate whether or not the testicles descend from the abdominal cavity or whether they don't. It's going to dictate whether the folds between the legs uh, develop into a penis or whether they develop into a vagina and a uterus. And that is going to then, uh, once the baby is born... All of those outward appearances are what are then going to factor into maybe gender roles, gender development schemes, um, how the child is treated in their environment, um, how they are um, received, um, and may even dictate some of the things like how parents interact with them. Um, there is also um, some differences uh, that you can see between uh, males and females. And then this factors into also other things. Our genetic code and our genetic makeup also factors into things like temperament. Um, a baby's temperament, which we don't have a whole lot of opportunity to talk about here, but a baby's temperament is kind of that innate um, or inborn um, tendency or how the baby responds to their environment. And we can see this very, very early on in an infant's um, development, we can see their temperament forming. How do babies respond to new toys, to new stimulus, to a change in their environment? That is the temperament that we're seeing come out. Some babies take it very much in stride and are easygoing. They change with the environment very well. Other babies, not so much. They don't like change. Um, some babies don't like change initially, but are okay or slow to warm, what we call. And so that temperament, which is innate, so there is some evidence that there may be some genetic underpinnings to it, that temperament will then um, also contribute to the way that the baby bonds or that attachment that we were talking about. Those videos that we saw about attachment um, will, will factor into how the baby bonds with the people in their environment, their primary caregivers. Now, obviously, temperament plays a role in this as well because uh, some babies may be very, very easygoing babies. And so... Um, the mother or the primary caregiver may not form as strong of an attachment with that baby because the baby is so easygoing. And it's a baby that you can sit down and walk away from and not really worry about. And so they may not form as strong of an attachment. The other thing that factors into this, because it is a relationship, is the parent. Um, the parent may also not form, and the parent's personality will contribute to forming um, the attachment with the baby. 
baby. The other thing that factors into this, again, that sex, gender, and sexuality may be stereotypes. Um, it may also be cultural expectations. In some cultures, um, they view even babies, male babies are viewed as stronger and more independent. And so forming an attachment may not be as um, culturally accepted for a male baby as it would be for a female baby. So there's a lot of things that factor into this, um, that kind of interplay between our sex and our gender and our sexuality that also factors in then to our development. Because this um, attachment is the first relationship that we have, and we kind of base all of our relationships off of this. Uh, if you have a very strong or if you have a secure attachment with your primary caregivers, you tend to form relationships easier in life and tend to have more secure relationships in life. If you form an insecure attachment with your primary caregiver, predominantly, and there's a whole host of reasons that an insecure attachment might be formed. But if you form an insecure attachment, you tend to form more insecure attachments in relationships throughout life. And so we see that there's all kinds of things that may factor into this attachment. It's not just as clear cut as um, saying, oh, well, if you give your baby attention and you give your baby love, that they'll form a secure attachment. There's also, yes, gender stereotypes, culture, uh, temperament, personalities that all kind of factor into this. Now, one thing that we do know, and this is again where it all kind of comes into play, is that neglect or abuse will, um, one, uh, most oftentimes result in an insecure attachment, but will also impact the cognitive development of the baby. So neglect or abuse will also impact our cognitive development as well. So in addition to those relationships that can have a long-term impact, we can now see some cognitive um, changes that occur from a variety of different things. Um, attachment and having a nourishing environment. And when I say nourishing environment, I'm not just speaking about physically nourishing like through food, but also stimulating through cognitive development. So if you have a baby maybe who has a very easygoing temperament, it's easy to lay them down on the floor and kind of walk away with them because walk away from them because they'll entertain themselves and they're so easygoing. The problem with that is that it's not very cognitively stimulating. So while the baby is entertaining themselves, they're not developing their brain, they're not having those interactions, and that attachment um, will really kind of help to foster a lot of that brain development as well. So they're not really. Um, their brains are not thriving as much as they could possibly. I did mention nourishment. Nourishment is obviously another key aspect. So when we look back, um, you know, decades ago, a long time ago when um, royalty was in place and, and boys were kind of held on this pedestal because they were carrying on the family name and they would be the heirlooms, it was not uncommon for boys to, you know, receive food first or something of that nature because they were more highly revered in the environment. And in those cases, then it would not be uncommon for you to see some um, cognitive deficits 
um, among babies who were not getting as much nourishment. Um, we still see this in um, cultures and in communities that don't have enough food. Um, in um, third world countries where they um, really and truly are not only suffered from a uh, lack of food, but they suffer from a uh, nutrient-dense food, so they don't have a lot of protein to build their brain. So while these children might be getting nourishment, they're not getting enough protein, and so their brains aren't developing. And that is something that is not going to be able to be reversed. You're going to alter their brain development and alter their cognitive abilities for the rest of their life. Now, since we're talking about cognitive abilities, we can also factor in those gender stereotypes again. And uh, depending on the um, gender stereotypes and gender expectations in any given family, there may be differences as far as cognitive development. What what toys children are exposed to, what um, sports children are exposed to, um, what kinds of, you know, um, extracurricular activities and camps are children going to may be dictated because of gender expectations or gender roles or gender schemes um, that maybe the parents have or that are culturally based as well. So you may have, um, again, and this may this could impact the child's development. Um, it may not be uncommon for boys to be going to a robotics camp and girls to be going to a different kind of camp, maybe not a robotics camp because that may not be where their interests lie, but it also may be because of gender schemes. And so again, that may or may not contribute to their overall cognitive development. So again, we see this interplay between our sex and our gender and our sexuality that could potentially impact our overall development.